Come on back, grab your Bible. And uh, you're going to jump to uh, Psalm 72 as we continue through the book of Psalms. And, um, you know, this is sort of a shameless plug for Wednesday nights. But not really, it's not a plug because that sounds contrived. But Wednesday nights, man, are sweet the way you guys worship. <laughs> and, uh, and you fellowship together. So, like, when I came up here to pray, uh, boy, that was touching to see you guys singing that song, How, How Great Thou Art. Woo! So, anyway, if you're on the video, you're going to want to come and be with the saints. So, if you can. So, okay, turn to Psalm 72, and you'll notice at the end of Psalm 72, go just turn over my, I have to flip a page. Look, this is the end of book three. When we're done with this Psalm, we'll be done, or excuse me, uh, we'll be done with book two, and we're going into book three. Sorry about that. And um, because there's five books of the Psalms compiled together, right? And so I just wanted to note that. And here's The first thing I want you to see about Psalms uh, 72, it says a psalm of Solomon. But there's some debate about whether that says a psalm of Solomon or a psalm for Solomon. Most people, and I'll show you why here in a minute, believe it's David, the dad, writing to Solomon... But it possibly could be Solomon writing in the third person, speaking uh, uh, to himself. But I'm going to show you, I think, why it's David. But, But here's the greater purpose, I think. Even though this isn't mentioned in the New Testament, this is clearly, clearly, Psalm 72, a picture into the millennial kingdom or of the millennial kingdom. And we'll talk why here in a second. Do me a favor and turn to Daniel chapter 2. Isn't that great? Coming full circle. Flipping back and forth between Sundays and uh, Wednesdays. That's really cool. Go go to Daniel chapter 2. Remember this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had and... Daniel was called in uh, to interpret the dream. Not only interpret the dream, he had to tell him what the dream was and then interpret the dream. And you remember this in verse 32. The image head was of fine gold, speaking of Babylon. Its chest and arms of silver, speaking of the Medes and Persian. Its bellies and thighs of bronze, Speaking of uh, Greece, its legs of iron and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Speaking of the Roman Empire, by the way, I don't think I've said this on Sunday. There was an Eastern Empire and a Western Empire of Rome. But then it says this, you watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. A stone, a smiting stone, and then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed 
and became like chaff from the summer threshing floor. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And that speaks of Jesus bringing down all the kingdoms of men and establishing his 1,000-year millennial kingdom, 1,000-year reign here on the earth. And we talked about why we think the smiting stone striking against the feet, there had to be a time gap in between there. And if we can talk about that after. But anyway, so that's Daniel 2. And then when you flip back to a psalm for Solomon in Psalm 72, this speaks of probably David praying for his son as his son takes the kingdom, but also it's looking forward to the millennial kingdom, what we just read in Daniel 2. You get it? And here's what the kingdom is to be like. Here we go. Give the king your judgments, God, and your righteousness to the king's son. Remember, all judgment is given unto the Son. The New Testament tells us, He will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. The mountain will bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. He will bring justice to the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy and will break in pieces the oppressor. Now listen. If I was running for office, and I'm never doing that, or maybe I should say it this way, don't you wish you were searching or flipping the channels and you got to a candidate who would say, here's my plank or my platform. Here's what I'm running on. Righteousness. Justice for the poor. Peace to the people. Not just peace from circumstances, but inner peace. Righteousness again, and justice for the poor. I mean, it's just over and over. And saving the children of the needy. And to break in pieces all oppression. Oh, that should be a Christmas song. We'd be jumping up and down. Wow, that's amazing. But you know what we'd say here in our cynical way. Yeah, right. Like anybody could do that. See, that's the point. (laughs) Here's this prayer, David's praying for his son, probably David. Again, some people believe it's Solomon. This poem or this song that he's writing for his son's appointment that points towards the millennial kingdom. Judgments and righteousness and peace and Break down the oppression and be fair to the poor. Those are all things that we're going to see in the millennial kingdom. You're going to finally at this point be able to say, somebody finally delivered. And that somebody is Jesus Christ. Who's coming as a judge. Look at this. They shall fear you. As long as the sun and moon endure throughout all generations, he shall come down like rain upon the grass before mowing. Now that sort of had me scratching my head because I don't think they had mowers back then. 
I don't know, maybe, maybe not. But what they did have was cattle and livestock, and really what that word means is that they were pastured. They were eaten up. And so look what the writer is saying here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The government that's coming is going to be so refreshing that even after the mowing (laughs) of the livestock, when it's been pastured, you know, they've been grazing, even then, our government, or Jesus' government, the government of the millennial kingdom, it'll be like showers that water the earth after that fresh cut, growing and vibrant and alive. You get it? That's the picture there. And this one is kingdom is going to last as long as the sun and the moon endure. Like showers that water the earth in his days, watch this, the righteous shall flourish. Like you're living fully ablaze, like you always intended to live in righteousness. That's you. As you help in some way to judge men and angels and participate in the kingdom with Jesus. That's what it'll be like. You'll flourish and there'll be an abundance of peace. Not just peace. You're not just going to have peace. There's an abundance of it. It'll be, you can't scoop up enough of it. It'll be overflowing. Your life will be overflowing. You know, now it's tough to get peace and you need to sit and press in and ask the Lord for supernatural peace. Well, in the millennial kingdom, there's going to be abundance of peace until the moon is no more. He shall also have dominion, or he shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him and his enemies will lick the dust. By the way, Solomon and Daniel, or Daniel and Solomon never had those borders. So it seems to be speaking of one that's beyond And that's Jesus, of course. That's what we're talking about. But his enemies will lick the dust. I mean, can you get any lower than that? And think about it. I mean, that's when every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And there'll be judgments there in the Valley of Megiddo. There in the Mount of Olives. I mean, you know, the campaign of Armageddon all up and through Israel. And there will be a bowing down, and he'll set things right. Even kings, and these kings of Tarshish and of the Isles, in other words, from everywhere, are going to bring presents. And the kings of Sheba and Saba will offer gifts. Yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. You know, you might be worried about a certain nation here and a certain alliance here and a certain alliance here and all these things coming together and it's sort of creeping in and making you nervous and all that sort of thing. Well, I get it and I understand what you're thinking except for all nations are going to bow down to him. And so when we say God's got it, 
I mean, there's substance behind saying that. It's not just something we spit out and sort of don't understand or don't believe. No, all, na- all nations shall serve him. That's coming. For he will deliver the need or the needy when he cries, the poor also, and him who has no helper. You see how amazing this is going to be? That's going to be the heart of the people in the millennial kingdom to help. And he, gonna, uh, he will spare the poor and needy, and he will save the souls of the needy. In many ways, that's just us. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, the Sermon on the Mount tells us. He will redeem their life from oppression and violence, and precious shall be their blood in his sight, and he shall live, and the gold of Sheba shall be given to him. Prayer also will be made for him continually, and daily he shall be praised. There will be an abundance of grain in the earth on the top of the mountains. His fruit shall wave like Lebanon, and those of the city shall flourish like grass of the earth. His name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. Now, I want you to stop right there, and I want you to say that. Who only does wondrous things. Say it. Now, do you believe it? Okay, if you do believe it, why do we complain so much? The Lord only does wondrous things. In all these different circumstances that you're in, or I'm in, he's moving and working to do a wonder. So the, thing that, the very thing that you think that hurts or is unfair or whatever, whatever word you use to describe it or I use to describe it, he only does wondrous things. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous thing, things. Now, most of you in here, I know, most of you, and most of you in here, I would say, you would say you're saved, born again, spirit-filled. What a wonder. What a miracle. If he only did that for you or me, just that, and stopped right there, that's a billion times more than enough. And yet he doesn't stop there, you see. Who only does wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name, not till he passes away, that would be David and Solomon, or Solomon. No, blessed be his name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory, the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. What a glorious picture. In that psalm, you see, here's what's so beautiful about it. Whether it's about David or about Solomon, Solomon or David, whatever. If it's about David, if it's about Solomon, of course it's looking to the future fulfillment in Jesus Christ of the millennial reign. Look what you see. You see the heart of God for his people. Oh my. 
And it's a picture of a tender God, a loving God, a wonderful dad, one who, where there's justice. Don't you cry out right now, where's the justice on TV when you watch it? Wow, here's the picture of it right here. And it's coming to pass. He only does wondrous things. Go to 73. A very famous psalm. When you start to compare yourself with other people, particularly when you start to say this, and I know you say it. You know why I know you say it? Because I say it. Lord, that person doesn't even follow the Lord. Why does he or she get all the bonuses and the money at Christmas and the advancement in the job or the recognition or the most likes or popular? Why? They don't even follow the Lord. And here I am. I'm giving my life to you. And you, blah, 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 blah. You know what you're really saying right there is, Lord, I've been such a good little boy or such a good little girl. You owe me. And that's not grace. <laughs> so watch. This is very famous. It's a psalm of Asaph. If you look in First Chronicles 25 and uh, uh, Second Chronicles and that sort of thing, uh, back in the, the Chronicles, you would know that Asaph is a great singer, a great musician, maybe the choir director. Also over in those scriptures, he's called a prophet when he's making these songs. And so we're switching now from David or Solomon or, uh, yeah, uh, uh, to this person named Asaph. And we're going to have several here in a row. And here it is. Watch this. Truly God is good to Israel. If you're confused, first of all, don't compare. Please don't compare. If you want to lose your joy in about 1.1 milliseconds, just start comparing yourself to other people. It goes away. Even in the Christian world, why does he get to do that? Why does she get to do that? And how come he never asked me to do the, the, the teaching? Da, 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 da. Just, just do that for a minute and watch what happens to you. You're going to go off the rails. I'm going to go off the rails. Comparison is the thief of joy. It steals it very quickly. So quit comparing. Remember in the book of John? Remember that interaction at the end, Peter and John? What is that to you? Just follow me. I have a plan for you. Don't worry about him. I have a plan for you. Follow me or for her. Follow me. Okay, so watch this. When you're confused or you're tempted to compare, always start with what you know from the Bible. You know some things about the Bible, and here's something you know. It starts out. Here's what Asaph does. He goes, truly God is good to Israel. Yes, God is good. Think about that. Think about the wondrous works that he only does. That's who God is, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. You see what happens when you compare? You're going to see in the rest of the psalm. You're, it's a slippery slope. You're going to fall down. You're going to crash. You're going to burn. Don't compare. My steps had nearly slipped. For watch, I was envious of the boastful. The people who were boasting, I was envious of. 
Asaph says. Now remember, this is the choir director. (laughs) This is the guy right there in the sanctuary, writing the songs, directing the songs, being a musician, doing godly things. And he says, I know God is good, but I was envious of the boastful. And when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, whoa, did it make me envious. For there are no pangs in their death. In other words, they never have really any problems or it doesn't even seem like disaster strikes those people that live over in Nevillewood. Or Peter's Township, you know, in those great big houses. Or Bebout, isn't it? That's the name of that road. Bebout Road or whatever. But th- for there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men. There's no problems for them. Nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than a heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens. In other words, they swear. And their tongue walks through the earth. In other words, it's very base and lowly. It's earthly. They talk like the people of the earth. But, you know, even when they're doing that, Asaph is saying, the choir director, the guy in the sanctuary, even when they're doing that, They don't have any problems, which is not really accurate. I mean, they do have problems. The people in Nevillewood have problems just like where I live or where you live. I mean, they have the problems. You just might not see it. You're looking on the externals. Therefore, his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. Nobody really knows what that verse means, (laughs) including me. And they say, how does God know? Actually, what it means, they think, is that they're so filled up and they can keep drinking. And anyway, so that's what that means. And they say, how does God know? And there is knowledge in the Most High. Or is there knowledge in the Most High? In other words, they're doubting God. Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. Not true. They're not always at ease. Uh, They increase in riches. Surely, watch this. Here it is, man. Here it is. Here's American church. Surely I'm a good little boy, good little girl. I've cleaned my heart in vain. I did all these good things. I did all the things you asked me, Lord, and you're not giving me what they have. Ow, what a dangerous place to be. And washed my hands in innocence for all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. You see what kind of a terrible perspective that is? Because the Bible tells us directly in the New Testament, if you're being chastened by the Lord, you should jump up and down and praise God because you're his child. Which means lean into the chastening. It's discipline. It's loving discipline. It's a good thing. He's trying to get your attention and to... Uh, mold you and shape you into a person of Christ-likeness. He loves you uh, too much to leave you alone, in other words. And he's chastening you. But see, when you start to compare with other people or compare your circumstances, you start to get this weird attitude. And one of the attitudes is, 
you dislike the chastening. Why do they get to go off scot-free? I come on Wednesday nights. I put money in the back. I help old ladies across the street. I go to the nursing home. You owe me, God. But that's not it. All day long I've been plagued. You see how he's, he starts to complain? The choir director. <laughs> We'd have to have a talk with the worship people. <laughs> what a bad attitude here. Not that they do, but you get what I'm saying. And chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, in verse 15, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, look at this. It was too painful for me. And that's what comparison does. Until, here it is, boom, here's the pivot. You ready for the pivot? Quit comparing yourself. Quit thinking, oh, woe is me. Quit running from the chastening. It's a good thing. Watch. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. What was in the sanctuary of God? What was it? God's presence until I went into the presence of God. Then I understood their end. There was something about being in God's presence that adjusted my spiritual equilibrium or something like that. My spiritual barometer. It, it, it did something to me. God's very presence, boom, brought me back to spiritual life. Got my eyes off my woe is me self and brought my eyes up to him. And that is the key. I went into the sanctuary of God. In other words, I had the presence of God. Now, you don't have to come in here necessarily. You don't. You can go by the blood anywhere, in your car, in your home. You can pray anywhere. But the Lord does call you to hear so that we can all love one another and sharpen one another. But you can still be in the presence of the Lord in your prayer closet or wherever you pray or wherever you get alone with the Lord. But do it because... When you have those feelings of bitterness and anger because they have more or they have this or they have that and I don't and I'm a good little boy, then you know if you're really being honest with yourself or myself that something's really amiss in my life. And I need to get with the Lord again. And then until I do that, that attitude's going to continue. But once I'm with the Lord, he has this way of patiently in a good way, adjusting your attitude. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Then I understood the things that he was doing. Then I understand that it was he and I, and I was to follow him and not compare myself and set my sights on things above. Surely, look at this, how it turned around once he got into the presence of the Lord. Before, he was on a slippery slope. Watch this. Now, immediately, he knows, surely you set them on a slippery slope. You have a correct perspective. It's not like you're going, oh, those rich people, I can't stay. That's not what you're saying. You're saying this, oh, Lord, whether they're rich or they're poor or anywhere in between or whether they have these advantages or these disadvantages, the most important thing in life, Lord, for me and for others is that they know you in a real and a personal saving way. And so 
Lord, whatever they have, strip those things away so I can just see, like you see, people who need Jesus. You see it? And here, immediately, in the presence of the Lord, he can do it. You see, that's why I always laugh when I hear people say I'm bored with Christian life. I don't see how you could be bored if you have a right perspective, a right perspective. And I get people go in ruts, totally understand that. But when you come back to the presence of the Lord, he's got a mission for you and me. It's to see people like he sees them and then go and share and love them because you, Lord, know that they're actually on slippery places and you cast them down to destruction, verse 18. Oh, how they are brought to desolation. That's eternal perspective, isn't it? That's an eternal perspective. You, you, You could bring them to desolation even in a moment. They're utterly consumed with terrors. They have this big house. They have that amazing car. They have the white picket fence. They can travel anytime they want, but they're destined for terrors. You see them in a different way. You see them the way God sees them. As a dream when one awakes, so, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. In other words, their good life, quote unquote, is really just as temporary as a dream. And maybe even you, you're building your life on something, but remember, if it's not of Jesus, it's just like a dream, pop, and it's gone. Thus, he says, my heart was grieved (laughs) before he was in pain himself. Now the focus has shifted off him because he was in the presence of the Lord and it's focused on others and he has a heart of compassion for others. I was so foolish and ignorant before because I was like a beast before you. Before I went to the house of God, this is what I was like. I was a beast. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. Now see, he's coming back to truth not lies. The enemy wants you to think you're alone. Nobody cares for you. The Bible says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's right here, right at your right hand. He's got you by the hand. That's what the Bible says. And so I'm continually with you and we're continually with God by the blood of Christ. You hold me by my right hand. You'll guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. I mean, what else do I need? I'm going to heaven, praise the Lord. And you don't use it in some spiritually superior way. It just, it it comes upon you and it grounds you for service in life. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you. There's none upon the earth that I desire besides you. Man, that's what we want. If you wanted to pray for something for yourself and for me and for all of us together, let's pray for that, a longing heart. A longing heart. Charles Wesley, the great hymn writer, when he was just about ready to die, he called his wife into the room. He was reading, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside you. And he wrote this. In age 
and feebleness extreme, what shall a sinful worm redeem? Jesus, my only hope thou art, strength of my failing flesh and heart. Oh, could I catch a smile from thee (laughs) and drop into eternity. Charles Wesley, my flesh, or excuse me, whom I have in heaven, but you, and there's none upon earth that I desire besides you. Wow, Lord, help me to remember that you're my portion. Just you, Lord, not the gifts you give, not the house that I live in, not the anything. It's just you, Lord, the beautiness or the beautifulness. Is that a word? The beauty of you. There we go. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. If we, folks, if you get to this place and you are getting to this place, the Lord is bringing you to this place in verse 26. Do you understand how free you become when it's just I ha- all I want is Jesus? I don't need to strive and strain for that or this or him or that or what. Da, 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 da. It's just Jesus. And anything and any place he puts me and asks me to go or do, I'm happy with that and I'm thankful for that. And any circumstances that he brings my way or anything that he has me encounter, I'm happy about that because he's making me more Christ-like and I'm walking according to his will. I just want to make the Lord my portion forever. Remember, it's my favorite or very close to very uh, favorite part of the Bible in Numbers. You know, as the people are going into the promised land, God divvies up the land. And then he says, hey, Levites, I got good news and bad news. (laughs) No, there's no bad news. You're, You're not getting any land, Levites. They were the ones who administered at the temple, at the sanctuary, uh, the tabernacle at the time, tabernacle. You, you don't get any land. Here's why. I'm your portion. Oh. And so that's what he's referring to here. And you can do that, and you can be that, that we could get to the place that we could say, God is the strength of my heart. That's what strengthens me and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it's good for me to draw near to God. Yes, it is. I have put my trust in the Lord God. What would I do now? What do I do now? Here it is. Here's your mission in life. Just write it down. Real easy. Just read. You're going to declare all of God's works. In your life and all of his works, you're just going to tell of the works of God wherever you go. Wherever you do, or whatever you do, wherever you go, you just declare all his works. You see how comparison can steal everything, but God's presence can put you right back on track. It's beautiful. Psalm 74, another contemplation of Asaph. Another contemplation Some people, most people, many people, you can be a Berean about this, think this was written 
as a result of the Babylonian invasion, 605 BC, 597 BC, 586 BC. You'll see why in a minute. Oh God, God, why have you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pastor? Pastor, no, I'm kidding, pasture. And then look too, remember your congregation which you have purchased of old. Now this is so totally interesting. Here you have the choir director who's worshiping and around the things of the Lord. Watch this. Watch what he says. Oh Lord, why have you forgotten us? And oh, by the way, remember us. <laughs> don't you wonder? Doesn't you, don't you scratch your head? Here's why, I think. It's because you're seeing a person write a song or a lyric under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he wrestles with his emotions and he wrestles in prayer. And you see it play out here. You ever been like that? You've gotten sideways on something and your attitude's terrible or whatever it is and you go to be with the Lord and you say, Lord, that person's a real jerk or something. I'm, I'm making it up and the Lord's like, you ever looked in the mirror? And you're like, oh, oh, wait a second. Maybe I better be praying for me, not for him. You, you get what I'm saying? And you wrestle about something or maybe, you know, somebody's in need <laughs> And it's going to be a sacrifice of time. You ever had that happen? I'm the pastor. I've had that happen. Or sacrifice of something. And, you know, there's that thing that's going, yeah, go do it. And you're like, nah, I don't feel like it. Yeah, go do it. I don't know. You see it happening right here with the choir director. Lord, why have you forgotten us? Oh, Lord, remember us. <laughs> so real. I love it. Remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old, the tribe of your inheritance, which you have redeemed, this Mount Zion where you have dwelt. Lift up your feet to the perpetual desolations. The enemy has damaged everything in the sanctuary. That verse is one of the reasons they believe it's because of the Babylonian captivity. They wrecked the sanctuary. Anyway, your enemies roar in the midst of your meeting place. In other words, they're, they're flaunting this. The enemy's flaunting against you, Lord. They set up their banners for signs. They seem like men who lift up axes among the thick trees, and now they break down its carved work all at once with axes and hammers. They've set fire to your sanctuary. You see this? They've defiled the dwelling place of your name to the ground. They said in their hearts, let us destroy them all together. They've burned up all the meeting places of God in the land. We do not see our signs. There's no longer any prophet, nor is there any among us who knows how long, O oh God, how long will the adversary reproach? Will the enemy blaspheme your name forever? Why do you withdraw your hand, even your right hand? Take it out of your bosom and destroy them. In other words, he's like, take it out of your pocket here. Do something. That's what Asaph's saying. For God is my king from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your strength. Uh, you broke the heads of the sea serpents in the water. You broke the heads of Leviathan in pieces and gave him as food to the people inhabiting the wilderness. You broke open the fountain and the flood. Uh, you dried up mighty rivers. The day is yours. The night also is yours. You've prepared the light and the sun. You've set all the borders of the earth. You've made summer and winter. Now watch this. 
circle it, I put a check mark. Remember this, that the enemy has reproached, O Lord, and that a foolish people has blasphemed your name. Oh, don't deliver the life of your turtle dove to the wild beast. Don't forget the life of your poor forever. Have respect to the covenant for the dark places, the earth. They're full of the haunts of cruelty. Oh, don't let the oppressed return ashamed. Let the poor and needy praise your name. Arise, O God. Here it is. Plead your own cause. Remember how the foolish name, man, reproaches you daily. I can't talk. Don't forget the voice of your enemies, the tumult of those who rise up against your in. Uh, you increases continually. Uh, here's all I want to point out. He prays according to the character and name of God. What he's concerned about when he thinks God has forgotten him and his people is that God's name would be um, uh, defended, not that his name would be defended. And he also prays by asking God to remember what he's done in the past and to do those things again, which requires him, here it comes, him as the prayer to remember the things that God has done. And I'm convinced that you're never going to be a great prayer until you're a great recorder of the events and the prayers that God have answered which requires you to have a pen and a paper or a piece of paper or a, a typewriter or a something. Typewriter, you know what I mean. So now go over to Psalm 75. He does it again. To the chief musician set to do not destroy... By the way, that same song or melody was used in Psalm 57, 59 by David. So that interests me because Asaph's using like the same music, but putting different lyrics to it. Get it? So here he goes. It's Asaph again, this choir director, this singer, this great musician who's also a prophet. And he says this, we give thanks to you, O God, we give thanks. That's poetry, Hebrew poetry. Keep, you know, double, double it for emphasis. For your wonderful works declare that your name is near. Ah, oh, think through that for a minute. I've already let the cat out of the bag. Each one of you is a wonderful work of God if you're saved and the Lord lives in your life. You're, you're, you're a wonderful work of the Lord, which means, watch, he's as close as breath. He's just there. He's there. He's here. And all the other things, the things that you know come from God, you, you, Think about the things that you've been praying about and the Lord's been answering and he's been doing these things and moving in this place. All those wonderful works show that he's near. He's not far. And when I choose, look at this. When I choose the proper time, I will judge uprightly. It's almost as if, watch this, and I think this, this will be freeing for you. It shifts into God speaking now. 
not Asaph. And he says, God says, I choose the proper time where I'll judge them uprightly. You're like, why, why are you making such a big deal of that? You can forgo all the grudges and the unforgiveness and the things that you hold. You can just let them go. Here's why. Because vengeance belongs to God. Because God controls the time. He knows the proper time. You think, I think I know the proper time. Lord, you need to come out here and wipe this dude off the face of the earth. Or this country, get rid of him. If you just do it, it'd be so much easier. I know better than you. And the Bible tells us that he knows the proper time. When he will judge uprightly. Not like I would, rashly, angrily, fly off the handle. I'll judge uprightly, he says. The earth and all its inhabitants are dissolved. I set up its pillars firmly. I said to the boastful, don't deal boastfully. And to the wicked, don't lift up the horn. Do not lift up your horn on high. Do not speak with a stiff neck. Horns always speak of power in the Bible. For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. Watch this. But God is the judge. I think it's such a great doctrine of the Bible that nobody pays attention to. I believe when you recognize that God is the judge, it gives meaning and purpose to life. Now we're coming into eternity, a life of, or excuse me, eternal life because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But while we're here, we're evaluated on the resources and the stewardship God's given to us. Right? What have you done with what I've given you? That's not for salvation. You're in. <laughs> but there's another judgment here. The Bema Seat judgment where you receive crowns. And this isn't something that you, I don't think it's something where you should feel guilty or anything. I think it's a purifying doctrine. You say, wow, I just want to invest my time. I don't want to waste it. God's given me all this great resource. Ah, oh, I want to use it for the Lord. And you say, well, okay, you're teaching that some people get crowns and others don't get crowns. Well, yeah, but we're not going to be concerned with the competition, I don't believe, because here's what we're going to do. We're just going to give them back to Jesus. So God is the judge, and he puts down one and exalts another. For in the hand of the Lord, there's a cup. And you know what the cup means. It means judgment in the Old Testament. It means judgment when Jesus, remember the disciples, mommy. Mommy, will you ask him if I could be in his cabinet? Jesus is like, well, he probably wouldn't say it like I say it. But do you understand the cup that I have to drink? And Are they willing to drink it? And then, of course, Jesus was willing to drink the cup, the cup of judgment, and the wine is red and it's fully mixed and he pours it out. Surely its dregs shall all the wicked of the earth drain and drink down, but I'll declare forever, I'll sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will also cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. He who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And you see it right here. And praise the Lord that God's going to do it. Jesus is going to do it perfectly just. You're not going to have to look around and go, time out, that's unfair. 
you're going to agree and say, that's right. Thank you, Lord. But also the wicked will be judged, and that's not going to be us, right? We're going to not be at the great white throne judgment. Okay, Psalm 76, and we close. To the chief musician on a stringed instrument, a psalm of Asaph. A psalm of Asaph. I sort of, or a song, I sort of gave it away. In Judah, God is known. I know it's a play on words, and it's sort of a stretch, but not really. When do you really feel close to the Lord? Man, it's when we're praising him, isn't it? It's when we're singing to him. How about tonight when you were singing how great thou art? I was, we were singing how great, didn't you? Man, you, you just were like, I know he's right here. How great you are, Lord. And in praise, God is known. In Judah, God is known. In, in the country there or in that territory, of course. But in praise also, God is known. His name is great in Israel. In Salem also is his tabernacle, Jerusalem. And his dwelling place in Zion. There he broke the arrows of the bow, the shield and sword of battle. You are more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. The stout-hearted were plundered. They have sunk into their sleep. Now, if you don't know what he's talking about here, this is most likely talking about this Assyrian king named Sennacherib. You can look at it in 2 Kings 18 and 19, also in Isaiah 37, and also in the Chronicles. And it's the Assyrians go into the northern part and take out the 10 tribes of Israel. But guess what they do after that? They march down to the walls of Jerusalem, and they actually, guys, gals, this is fascinating. They actually send a letter over the wall to the king, and it's a threatening letter. It's an ominous letter. Like, you know, like one of those scam phone calls that somebody does to you where they say, hey, your IRS is in back tat, and you better call up here, because if you don't call up here, you're going to jail, and you're, everybody's like, ah, and the IRS doesn't call anybody. That's what this letter was like. It was coming across, and it was like, we've killed others up north. We're going to kill all of you. We're going to squeeze you and pop you. And if your king, Hezekiah, tells you any different, he's lying. And they had people that would walk near the walls and scream over in their language like propaganda and try to get them to fold. And guess what King Hezekiah did? Smart thing. He took the letter, and he went over to the the temple in the tabernacle, temple area, and he laid it down before the Lord and he prayed over it. And I don't know if you know the story, but at night, they didn't have to do anything. An angel of the Lord came and wiped out 185,000 of the Assyrians. That's what this is all about. So you're more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. The stout-hearted were plundered. They have sunk into their sleep. That's what this is talking about. And none of the mighty men have found the use of their hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both the chariot and the horse were cast into a dead sleep. You yourself are to be feared. And, you, and who may stand in your presence when once you are angry? You caused judgment to be heard from heaven. The earth feared and was still. When God arose to judgment to deliver all the oppressed of the earth, and then he says, Selah, <laughs> like consider this deeply. Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. With the remainder of wrath, you shall gird yourself. 
Make vows to the Lord your God and pay them. You know, you're not required to make vows to the Lord. You don't have to. But if you do, go through with them. (laughs) Let all who are around him bring presents to him who ought to be feared. He shall cut off the spirit of princes. He is awesome to the kings of the earth. And that word means like terrible. I mean, he takes out and puts in who he wants. Now, we're going to close here and we'll, we'll pray. But I just want to make sure, <laughs> you know, as we wrap this up, You see here, there's real emotions here. This is Bible people who God picked to write these words, but they deal with or dealt with the same thing you deal with. Lord, I'm not sure how to come here in prayer. I think my heart is telling me to pray about this and do it this way. But now that I get here, it seems like I need to pray in a different way, which is funny because what do many people, a lot of people, a lot of pastors tell you that prayer is? Prayer is not you getting your will done on he- in heaven. Prayer is getting his will done here on earth. And so really what this struggle in prayer is, is not so you can get God manipulated to the point where he'll do what you want him to do. A lot of churches are teaching that to people. What prayer really is, is that you go to him in prayer. God has this unbelievable mission for you and I, this amazing privilege. He's asked each one of you and and all of us together to go into all the earth and share his glorious gospel and good news to people who are dying and hurting and lonely. So in order for him to do that, you see, he asks us to be walking in his will. (laughs) And I think that's what we saw here tonight. And one of the great hindrances for you and I to complete that mission is to compare with other people, especially in the church. Who here has ever struggled with comparisons? Yeah, I have. Me too. Well, let's do this. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. And let's ask the Lord to help us to remember and to trust and to come back to him during these times. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that... uh, uh, that you've given us this word, and it is ancient words, or they are ancient words, and yet they speak right to our heart here tonight, here today. They come straight from heaven, Lord, and have a great impact in us. And so I pray for each one of these people. I pray, Lord, you'd help them, you'd help us with comparing to other people. I'd help you, uh, I'd ask that you help us to walk the walk that we're walking with you and that you would open up for each person as I look around the room here, for each person in here and anybody online who's watching, I pray you would open up several opportunities this week 
for these people filled up with your spirit to share your love and light with people who are hurting. And I pray, and we pray together, that many would come into the kingdom through these beautiful saints. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody says, Amen.